You're listening to Check Us Out, the podcast from the Montclair Public Library. I'm Peter Coyle, Director of the Library, and we're so glad you're listening today. Our episode is going to feature an interview by Selwa with local author Valerie Wilson-Wesley. Her new book, A Glimmer of Death in Odessa Jones Mystery, is available from the library. Valerie has also been featured in the other book, The Talk, Conversations About Race, Love, and Truth. We hope you'll enjoy their conversation. Hello, this is Selwa Shami, Assistant Director of the Montclair Public Library. Today you will be hearing from Montclair author Valerie Wilson-Wesley, who writes mysteries, novels, and children's books. Her latest novel, A Glimmer of Death, an Odessa Jones mystery, was published in February of 2021. She is also the author of the Tamara Hale mystery series, in which there are nine titles. She has also written paranormal romances under the pen name Savannah Wells. Her novel, Ain't Nobody's Business If I Do, received an award for excellence in adult fiction from the Black Caucus of the American Library Association. Wesley's books for children and young adults include seven titles in her Wilhelmina Rule series, Freedom's Gift, A Juneteenth Story, Where Do I Go From Here?, and the Afrobets book of Black Heroes, which he co-wrote with Wade Hudson. Her short essay, Never Be Afraid to Soar, is included in The Talk, Conversations About Race, Love, and Truth, published in 2020. Wesley is a former executive editor of Essence Magazine. She served as artist-in-residence at Columbia College in Chicago, is a former adjunct professor at Ramapo College, and a former artist-in-residence at the Tyson School of the Arts in East Orange, New Jersey. Wesley is a graduate of Howard University and holds master's degrees from the Bank Street College of Education and the Columbia Graduate School of Journalism. Valerie, thank you so much for joining us today um, on the library podcast, Check Us Out. Thank you, I'm delighted to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Um, so you are a Montclair resident. When did you move to town? You know, we have lived in Montclair, I would say almost 40 years, a long time. I, that is a long time. Two daughters who are now adults, and my grandson is living here as well. So we were definitely long-term Montclair residents, and it's, you know, it's a great town. One of the things that, you know, since I, I've been with the libraries, I've noticed that people are here for generations sometimes, you know, and <laughs> it's, it's, it's just, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, people love this town. It's a good town. It's a good town. Yeah. No, so my daughters are I was happy they're both here because it's really, I mean, I, it, they oh, look, they're both here too. That's they great. Too. <laughs> they left <came> back. <laughs> it's great for me because I love having them. My grandson, you know, everyone, everyone's here. So it is a lovely place. That's wonderful. When we first moved in so many years ago, it wasn't as high price as it is now. It's a lot of writers and yeah. art, but it's suddenly gotten very, very high priced, which, you know, yeah. is, can be a problem because you don't have the kind of really, I think, economically diverse groups that we had when we, when we first moved, which is, you know, you, but it's, it, we got in 40 years ago, you can imagine. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. I mean, I've read that, you know, a lot of especially African-Americans are, are just being kind of squeezed out yeah, of town. People can't, people can't afford them. And they, people with houses often have to sell them because the tax right. is so right. high. Right. And, you know, and it's, it's very, and it kind of in some ways ruins the character of the town. Yeah. Moved here, it was a very kind of a different kind of town. But yeah. Oh, it's, you know, it still has 
lovely things about it and it's a, a delightful place and I don't want to move but who knows you know who knows what like, yeah with older people too senior people you know it's which which I am one <laughs> <laughs> so if somebody were moving to town if you knew somebody moving to town what what would you tell them about Montclair what are some of the things you'd very, want to know it's a I think it's a very progressive town in many ways and it's a in the sense that I you know but then the more money that comes into it the less progressive <laughs> It might become, you know, quite frankly, but it's a town that it is welcoming and there are lots of different high points to it. Someone once said you can look at the diversity of restaurants that you have in a town and tell a lot about the culture. And that's true. The museum, I've been a member of the museum for years and years and years. And the African-American Cultural Committee is part of the museum, which I was one of the founding members of that. And these kinds of things make it the library and the branches that you have really essential to, to what a town is, the character of a town. And these are all things that really speak well for the town and the fact that it does continue to grow. But it, the fact that it is, has gotten so expensive, it does limit, I think, the, the how people are able to, to live. And that's unfortunate. Yeah. yeah. So you mentioned the library um, role have libraries played in your life? Oh, every, you know, <laughs> Years ago, I wrote a piece um, for my, I grew up in Connecticut, the Ashford town, a small town called Ashford. And I wrote a piece for the library about the part as a girl, the library played in my, in my life. And just how important they always have been. I mean, I think all writers are essential if you're a writer. And if you don't have, you know, if you don't have a lot of money or if you just want, if you're the type of kid who likes to hang out among books, it's where you go. And it really... The librarians, you know, and I don't mean to, you know, but they're very friendly for the most part. <laughs> and they tend to be, you know, at least my experience as a girl. And it was, um, I, it was, uh, it was kind of, I lived in a, a small town called Ashford. And I, it was not always a welcoming town. It was predominantly white. And I was one of the few black people, one of them. And I found that the library was really a good place to come. The librarian was always welcoming. And it was a lovely, just an old building. And I just remember that being one of my really great experiences. And, um, and she always had books for me. I and mean, when she found that I love to read, I mean, I think it's anything else. If you find a kid who likes to read, you just give them books and you feed them because you love books. You are excited about giving the kid books. I remember reading my first mysteries there, you know, all of them going through Agatha Christie and, you know, and, and, and Edgar Allan Poe, the, the stories of my, all of these things that later have, have meant so much to me as a writer. And certainly that's what a librarian is. And I'm also, so therefore in my books, libra librarians always play some good part. I think <laughs> the paranormals, <laughs> they're, you know, they're, they're very always positive characters. You can always tell you know, in my books that the librarians, librarians are going to be one of the good guys. So that's- Well, I, I like hearing that. This is a lovely <laughs> library to the Montclair Public Library. It's really, yeah. I said, thrilled to be interviewed. So you are a prolific author who spans multiple genres and age groups, including books for children like the Wilhelmina Rule series. So what is it about writing for a younger, an, a younger audience? Uh, what is it about that that you enjoy? I think it allows me to really go into, um, to find that child part of me and that voice that is there. And also about my daughters, I, the Wilhelmina Rules series is kind of, kind of loosely based upon my daughters, who, <laughs> Nandi and Timmy. And um, it's funny because 
seeing it now, they're, they're both of them have their little adventures I would just write about. As so many writers who write for, who have children and write for children, you use their lives as a, a way. And certainly certain things that I wrote about in the One Minute Rule series, like at one point the cookie money disappearing and the, all kind of took place in, 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 my, in my, our neighborhood and with the girls and their friends to the point where uh, recently a new family moved in and this particular little girl really loved Wilhelmina, but she couldn't believe that I was the one who wrote them. <laughs> Primo's grandmother. <laughs> so it was just interesting. And she recognized certain parts of, of the series. So that was really, to me, very rewarding to know, but it has kind of different generations have, have enjoyed the series. And it was just fun to write. I would love to, you know, to do another series similar to it, but this point, I'm so involved in the mysteries. It's well, sick of those for a while. Yeah, your really popular uh, Tamara Hale mystery series has been very successful. And your latest uh, novel, A Glimmer of Death, is considered to be a cozy mystery. Yes. So what made you decide to write a cozy mystery? And, and how does that genre differ from general mystery genre? Well, a cozy mystery is basically, it's, it's the kind of mystery that's no... You know, it's um, in some ways just what it says. In fact, I have on my blog, a, a, um, on my website, a blog about cozies and exactly what they are. And never, just in a kind of technical sense, no, no on-screen violence. If, if there's, if there's in, in the Tamara Hales, if there's some real kind of wild sex scenes, no sex, nothing like that, <laughs> cozies, no cursing. Tamara has, particularly in the first book, I, I think they banned it in, schools in Texas because there was so much cursing. But uh, in, when death comes stealing, I really, I mean, I'm serious. I mean, reading it, I like, what did I do all this cursing? And it's like, I don't know, on and on and on. But um, it, no, no, no cussing. And it's kind of, uh, and the character is different. It's a, there's always a touch of humor in, in a, a cozy that's not necessarily in a hard boiled PI book. Although someone said the Tamra Hales are more medium boiled than hard boiled. Um, but it's um, it's a different rhythm to it, and I find it very a lot of fun to write. And um, there, when I there are certain things you always find in cozies. For example, in this cozy, there's a cat, <laughs> which I'm able to talk about my my grandson's pet cat, which is interesting because uh, you know he uh, my my daughter my, my uh, grandson live with us, and so cat is part of the family. But I'm able to give him part of the book, which is fun. I, in fact, I acknowledge him in the beginning and um, along with my rest of my family and cooking. I like to cook. My daughter, my youngest daughter is well, such a chef. And so I'm able to do that, use a lot of catering and cooking in the books. And that's, that's, that's been fun. So um, I could never do that in the PI mysteries, but ah. I mean, Tamara has a son and she's raising her son by herself, but it's a different, she's a different, a different town, a different kind of life than Odessa Jones. Plus, Odessa, mm. of course, has sixth sense, like a second sense, kind of a sixth sense, I guess you call it, where she can kind of, the magical part of her about the books, the paranormal aspect to it, which is fun. Right. So you said you, so you, you wrote um, paranormal romance novels under a two. pseudonym, two of uh -huh. them, under the pseudonym Savannah Wells. I, I'm just curious, why did you decide a pseudonym? Big mistake. The publisher oh. felt big, big mistake because nobody oh. wrote them. 
Yeah. But, and I think that was one of the things that they didn't sell as well as they could have because people, people were looking for a new mystery or something. And they were, because I had written in different genres before. For some reason, this publisher decided that people would see my name and think it was a mystery and they would be disappointed and yada, yada. yada. But it was a mistake. And I think that because I had written other books, standalone books under both names and people read them and the audience tends to, I think, particularly black readers tend to go with the, with the author. Mm. Don't necessarily look for a particular kind of book. You just like the author's writing and that's what you find. Mm. But um, I've always loved those. The paranormal books were fun to write. A lot of research, which in areas you don't particularly want to know about, but scary areas, you felt like you had to burn some sage after writing it. <laughs> it's like, it's a little scary when you get out and start to really research, you know, these various things. But um, they were an interesting exercise for me in terms of writing and forcing myself to go in a different direction. And um, people ask, are you going to write another one? I, I don't know, but I might. You never know what you're going to do. And what, but if I wrote it, it would be under my name. And I would make sure that writers, readers know that, yeah. that there is me with these other two. Yeah, I mean, I'd feel the same way, sure, yeah. you know. So the paranormal aspect, is, is there, has that touched your life in a way that made you think, oh, I want to include this in, in well, some I of my with, novels? I think more with Odessa Jones and A Glimmer of Death, it's more just a, um, it's kind of a unique part of her personality. In terms, I have family members who claim to have a sixth sense of them, but, you know, who claim to, but it's yeah. you see a strong sense of intuition, okay. you know, it's more uh -huh. intuition. And it doesn't, and even with, um, with De Odessa in the book, it doesn't help her, it gives her a sense of people. She can see things and smell things and know things that ordinary supposedly people can't, but she also just has a very strong intuitive sense of people and the glimmers that she sees around people, the auras more or less come from that. So I can play around a little bit with it, but it's, um, it's not really central. It is central to the book, but it's not, central to the solving of the mystery. Like she doesn't say a chant or something and the mystery solved. It just plays a part in her understanding people, which I think ultimately it's always comes back to character when you, when you write a book. Yes, and then her Aunt Phoenix. <laughs> I think one of my favorite characters. Oh my gosh, she, she seemed like, she was so fun. I wanted, I wanted more of her. I love her as an older woman. I love, well, senior, definitely senior. But just the, the whole idea of uh, creating a character just is, is different. I love the fact that she has a flask full of cherry brandy that she sips from and, and quoting Maya Angelou, which I think is really <laughs> a lot of fun to have to go through Maya's work and find quotes that I could use in a particular situation. Um, in this book, I've expanded from other just writers in general that she's gonna quote because I just weren't enough quotes you know, for each situation. But, um, it's a very, she's a very interesting character and she's, and, and it's really Odessa Jones's only relative, well, her mother is dead, but one of her, her other, she has another aunt, Aunt Celestine, who's equally interesting, hmm. but it's <laughs> the two of them together are fun to write. Dialogue, when you write dialogue, it just kind of flows. And it's the dialogue between those characters from particularly on Phoenix, it just comes easily to me. So that's, so she's just fun to write. I always look forward to saying, oh, I can have a chapter with Aunt Phoenix in it. Yeah. Um, the uh, the other fun part of the book I enjoyed was the food, all the baking. Oh, yes. 
is that is that kind of part of cozy mysteries or is that something you just it kind is, of threw in it actually it is if you when you look start researching cozies are just i had no idea there were so many types of cozies i mean there's every type of cozy you can imagine there were cozies, paranormal cozies and this pet people with pet cozies bookstore cozies it runs the gamut and food is something that i think is also essential but there are whole cozies that are just nothing but recipe not they're mysteries but they're also deal really much more than i do but i did decide that i would have a recipe for example the one two three cake of the her this is go go cake go to cake at the end of the book which is basically a seven up cake which we make always in our family and it's gotten a fair amount of attention there was actually it was featured in a, a magazine called tea time which was fun and can, people have sent me pictures of the one that they baked it and I've really on the website I have one no it's actually it's on my uh, Amazon page and it's really been fun to see people try it and I've, I've enjoyed that part of it and so in the next book I so every I'll feature one recipe that kind of runs through the story at the end I'll always offer the, uh, the you know the recipe so yeah that's, that's great part of it yeah so there's quite a few characters that work in the, you know, the real estate agency that uh, that Odessa works in. What, so what's your process in, in developing characters? Well, <laughs> one of my daughters is actually a real estate agent, too. So that was breaks ah. of reality into that as well. Um, I just kind of really understand, try to get to know the character. It always comes back. Whatever you're writing, it always comes back to character. And um, that's where you go from. Plot comes from character for me. I mean, that's what's crucial is building a strong character. There are ways that you can do it as a writer. You can write a bio of a character. I always will sometimes just write in a first person voice to, to hear the character's voice. And it's, it, it all comes back to character, to understanding the backstory of the character. And then you put them in the room and they just kind of go with it the way they're gonna go in the setting, and the setting of course is also important, is crucial. I guess in writing and finding characters, you just notice things, observe people, observe the way they function in the world. And that I think is, is part of it. Mm. Um, to me, it's always the details of character, the detail of people, the detail of what you're writing about. And you have to have a certain love for each of your characters, although I must confess with A Glimmer of Death, Charlie Briscoe was not, <laughs> you can tell no. he left very well, early. Yeah, you could always if there's ever there's a a batterer in the book, he's gonna die <laughs> very quickly. <laughs> so mm -hmm. you can always count on that as one of the victims. You know, they don't stick around long in my books. You know, these are things that go into it. You know, into for me into developing characters is is just under fully understanding and knowing your character and goes from there. You know, the setting in A Glimmer of Death and, and also in the uh, Tamara Hale mysteries, they, they all take place in North Jersey. And I noticed that I didn't recognize the names of the towns, that they, they were fiction. <laughs> I didn't um, want to. <laughs> well, I think for, and certainly the Tamara Hale's in Newark. I, I make no joke. Yeah. I don't hide that. It's Newark and I go to Newark and I, my husband grew up in Newark and I love Newark and through his eyes and through those people who grew up in Newark who love the city. And, and, and when I would have been in other countries or any part of the country, even other countries, people in Birmingham, England, identify with Newark and, and even Chicago identifies. So it's a, it's a you know, big city, a city of, of work, struggling people. And um, so Newark is with that kind of broad identification for many readers. 
which I was really thought good about bringing Newark, uh, in, you know, into the world in that way. Certainly, it's it's a very important city, and it's really changed. I don't really want to talk about Montclair because I do want to, <laughs> but in this, when I did talk about. Well, if people who read it who grew up in around this area will probably I know what town I'm talking about in Grovesville by the way that I describe it. I don't, you know, it's kind of, it's, I should say it's, I'm inspired by Bloomfield kind of. Okay. <laughs> the diverse restaurants, the 24 hour diner, the, the old working, you know, kind of a working hard city, um, an old city, an old, an old, it's been around a long time. So I've, I didn't really want to talk about Montclair because I did live here, but I also was annoyed. There's also for a while, one of the cities close to Bloomfield was what they call a sundown town. So I mentioned that in talk, but I don't name the city, the town, and but I won't now. But that kind of thing that was ha also happening in this area, there was a lot of that in, in, in our area. I don't know if people will know the towns I'm talking about, but when they read it, astute readers, oh, she's talking about this town or this town. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that. I was I was trying to think, well, where where is she? What does she mean? A Glimmer of Death is the first in a series. Yes. Um, what do you have in mind for the future of these characters? Well, I just finished the second book. It's called A Glimmer of Grief. Ah. It's, um, I think I'll probably stick with the glimmer thing because <laughs> it's kind of a way whenever you have a series, you have a kind of uniting, unifying theme that they can use in promoting the book so I, you know and I kind of stumbled onto the glimmer thing but it's now it's been the book so it'll be a glimmer of grief and I suppose if I'd sell any more glimmer of something um, and that book's going to come out next March and it's an also I think of course with all the characters I don't want to you know people who haven't read a glimmer of death I don't want to tell talk too much about what happens in it because or who the characters which who are going to stay and who's going to go because then they read they'll but it has many of the characters that are in a glimmer of death and doing different things in a different, same basic world, but um, just dealing with different kinds of things. The thing about the one you'd mentioned earlier, the difference between a PI and a, a cozy. In a PI thing, you have a, she can be hired to find things. So the, the plot is easier because you can either get a job, you research it with this, with a cozy and particularly this cozy, you have to stumble onto the case. So there has to be a reason why, in this case, Odessa is investigating or working to solve a case. So that can be a challenge. In a PI novel, you can just pull out a gun and deal with things. Mm -hmm. Of course, and, and Odessa can't do that. But, and also with a PI novel, the sleuth has a certain way of investigating, which Tamara certainly has, she's a former cop. But Odessa has no idea what's, you know, how to investigate. So I had to create a friend for her. In this case, it's Lennox Royal, who's an ex-cop who can answer her questions of, of legal questions. And that's another thing that with a, a cozy that they always, you always have to have someone within the, the world of the, the amateur sleuth who's able to give legal answers and know something about investigating. And that, that's something that's one of the, between the cat and the food and that's another aspect of, of a cozy. I'm going to switch gears a bit, uh, you know, as we're winding up. So a compilation for young readers was published in 2020 called The Talk, Conversations About Race, Love, and Truth. And you contributed a chapter, yes. um, which was like a letter to your grandson about your father and his achievements. 
Um, and then you go on to describe an interaction with a police officer that, you know, depicts an unfortunately all too common scenario, you know, born from the long history of racism in this country. Um, I found it to be very moving. Can you talk you. about your father and, and the lesson for your grandson? <laughs> well, I think my, grand, my, my father was really, and it was funny with him, he never talked about being a Tuskegee Airman. And that's a major thing. I mean, if you look at him now, nor the fact that he had gotten so many, that he was a distinguished flying cross, which is like when, after he passed away, I, they did a big thing in the town for him. And one of the, one of the older aldermen said, you know, do you know how, what a big deal a distinguished flying cross is? No idea. Because he never talked about his war experience. He, but even though he was in Vietnam and he served and he, he, I think it was difficult for him coming back and meeting so much segregation as he, as he had. When you, you know, you serve and then you come back. And I think it was, it wasn't really a bitterness, but it was just like a sense that um, you just go on from there. And after he, but I just remember certain things. I particularly that what happened that day with, with, my, with my father and how angry he was, but how he could not allow it to go anymore. And also how I used to dream about it after that as a child. It really frightened me to see that kind of the cop scary, threatening him like that and threatening me, but also how he kept his cool. And I guess as a grandmother, and particularly with a grandson, I had daughters, so I didn't have the same kinds of things, confrontations that are scary in terms of black boys. That's one of the things that frightens me is what do you, how do you teach sons, grandsons in this case, my daughter does, of course, much more than I do, to maneuver in this world. It's a different world for, for black boys than it is for black girls. There are equally things, bad things can happen to girls, but it's a different way you have to maneuver in the world, negotiate the world. So that in a way is what I think kind of skipping a generation, this is what my father would have taught, told my grandson to do this, to do that, and never to allow anyone to tell you what you can't do. And that was what the lesson that certainly he passed on to, to me and I would pass on to my grandson because people will try to limit you and make yeah. assumptions about you. And um, that is, and once I do that, you, you cannot let that stop you and never stopped him. And that was kind of why I wrote that. Uh, there are, it's an amazing book. It's just a, a lovely and very painful in many ways expression by writers of the talk. How do you talk to your kid about this? And that was the way I would talk to my grandson with this particular letter to him. And reading it to him for the first time, I felt myself choking up a little bit. And I said, oh, this is, this is for you. you know. It's, it's an important book, I think. And I hope that many people will read it to their children. Yes, and well, we have it here at the library along with your other books. It's, it's great that you were able to contribute, absolutely. Thank you, thank you. Um, I just have one last question. So how has being in a pandemic changed your writing process? Well, <laughs> it's not sleeping a lot, <laughs> kind of depressed, but, uh, you know, and, and just, but I haven't, so many, People have lost people. And, and that it's just, I think, a difficult period. In some ways, escaping into this book was okay for me. It was good. Literally escape. You know, it's just a difficult time for everybody. And I think, um, and for me as a writer, just, and of course, being in my seven, early 70s, it's even more of a thing. You're afraid of catching it. 
and now that I'm up to get the vaccination next week, I so thank God I'm relieved. But, you know, it's just been a horrible time. I've, I have lost friends and it's just so been sorry. Ter- yeah. a terrible, terrible, terrible time for everybody. But I hope that we are beginning, hopefully, to, to get through that and to see finally some. But like I said, I could just escape into my cozy world <laughs> where everything ultimately turns out right, as all mysteries do. That's an important part of, the, you know, the bad guy is always caught and things are always, the world is right again. Um, thank you so much, Valerie. Thank it, it was you. Such what a pleasure, pleasure to talk to you. Such what a pleasure, a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this interview on Check Us Out, the podcast of the Montclair Public Library. As always, more information about all our programs and services and offerings can be found at our website, montclairlibrary.org. And don't forget to download our app from the App Store or Google Play by searching Montclair Public Library. Thanks for listening. Hope you'll join us next time.